Welcome to the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast. We've combined life experience with young adult drive and ambition. Are you just starting to college plan? Did you finish your education and wonder, now what? Join us in this lively discussion about the topics you need to know to create the next stage of your life's dreams, careers, finances, education, and more. Brought to you by Voice for Heroes 501c3. Welcome to another fantastic episode. And I have to say that I was very happy to push live on the button of this one because we were having way too much fun behind the scenes and realized that maybe the audience, that you were all going to want to come in on this one. So here we are. We have our amazing usual co-host, Ed Sanderson, with us today. He is just such the foundational part of this show, and we're so grateful to have him. We have our co-host, Sophie Anderson, who is joining us back. If you follow this show, you will have met Sophie on prior episodes. She is just starting her first week at Georgia Tech. So go, Sophie. Myself, Amy Scruggs, always here. But today Today, we have Brian Gillette. And I have to tell you, the topic about endurance, you are going to know why when you meet this amazing professional. He has years as an outstanding executive in HR and in corporate world, but he also really specializes in endurance to the point that he has biked across the U.S. He has ran, I think, was it 200? He's going to let us 200 some odd miles around Lake Tahoe, more marathons than I could even fathom wanting to attempt in a lifetime. And we're going to discuss endurance in life and in business. It's an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us on the show. Amy, Ed, Sophie, it's it's a wonder. It's wonderful to be here. And I look forward to the conversation. When I saw that uh, I was reading Sophie's background, I thought, oh, no, man, I'm going to get grilled on this one. She seems like a smart cookie, but it's super smart. Yeah, it's good to know that that the the generation that's behind us is going to lead us in the right path. So it's, it's great to be here, Amy. Oh, awesome. Okay. We need to get started because Brian, you have a massive life and career, but I want to hear it from you. If you can give us some cliff notes as to what brought you to us today, because it's powerful. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of back into it, kind of what I do now. Right now, I run my own consulting practice, focus a lot around leadership development, um, executive coaching, and, and pulling teams together from the corporate world, pulling teams together and helping them kind of work together more effectively as a team. And I've been doing this for about 11 years. And prior to that, I was in the corporate world. I was a VP of human resources, held several kind of senior level roles within human resources, managing the entire function, um, running running different uh, leadership development parts. And and kind of that that time when I was in the corporate world to transition into, the, uh, into my own business, I had seen a lot of deaths in the family or friends, and I thought, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm living a fulfilling life. And so I want to, I, I purposefully went in to run my own business because I, I had young kids at the time. And so right now I have two teenage boys, one's a freshman, one's a junior. So Ed, I applaud everything you do because I'm using somebody, you know, one of your your uh, competitors or your colleagues to uh, help us make that transition into college because it was a little different than uh, than when than when I went. Sure. So, you know, um, prior to that, you know, I've worked in technology, I've worked in financial services, and just had some some great mentors and leaders to work with. As you talked about, you know, endurance. I have for my most of my life had some endurance kind of athlete capabilities and just enjoyed uh, taking on big events. You know, I. I, I remember I was a, a young teenager and did my first bike ride with my parents about 200 miles from the San Francisco Bay Area up to Yosemite. 
And that got me hooked on long distance cycling. And so I did a, a bunch of others throughout California and then eventually across the United States when I was 20. And, and then, you know, I've done a bunch of 100, 200 mile rides in a day and then wanted to do a 300 mile ride in 24 hours. Kind of my first time going through the night to understand what is it like now, now, Sophie, if you haven't done an all-nighter, um, you, you, you have not. That yeah. not so as part of your college experience, and I hope your mom's not listening, you will eventually. Um, and and it is a different experience to be up at four in the morning, having gone through the night. And so, you know, I wanted to understand what that was like kind of on a bicycle. And as I was finishing that, I thought, okay, I need to get into running. Um, and then you know, did a marathon, started training up for, for longer stuff and eventually did 200 miles around Lake Tahoe, which was um, just this amazing experience. So I've always had that desire to kind of push yourself. And then most, you know, after doing that, um, you know, a number of people came and said, I could never do that. And whenever I hear somebody say I could never do that, it just pulls at me because it's like you probably could. And and so I interviewed 100 people to understand what is it they do? And these were executives or ultra distance athletes. What is it they do? And I know we'll get that into the, into the book or into uh, the discussion. And then lastly, you know, I, I love to travel. And so my wife and I traveled for a year before, right before we got married, actually for seven months. And then we took our kids out of school for a year, a couple of years ago before COVID and traveled kind of through, I think about 30 countries. So oh. we've, we've traveled extensively um, uh, and just that that's just an important part of who I am. So that's my, that's my cliff notes, Amy. That was excellent. I have to say fantastic cliff notes. If you could come in and help also some of the coaching I do to help professionals <laughs> know how to do just that. <laughs> now, I also have to share, Brian, that. I have been guilty at times for moving the car in a parking lot to go to a different store in the same shopping center. So what you have just found now <laughs> reminded me how active I am not. And as soon as we're done with this show, I'm going to go run up and down the stairs 20 times. So thank you. I've done the same thing, Amy. So it's, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Especially if I'm in heels, I get an, a, a, a stiletto or wedge exception. Yeah. Well, no, I, if I, I could not do anything if I were in heels. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Sophie and Ed, I'm going to let you guys decide who goes first. I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> I'm going to let the guest host come on in and uh, intimidate Brian and make him feel uh, worse about his accomplishments. <laughs> Sophie, the no. floor is yours. Man, and I'm already way, intimidated. By the way, I love how Sophie's wearing like pigtails in a hat. She She's going to intimidate you from Georgia Tech with those pigtails. <laughs> Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not so much intimidation, but I'm wondering, you've clearly done a lot of um, physically strenuous and endurance things. How do you translate that physical endurance to business? And how do you help others people do that as well? Yeah, and, and there, there really isn't a big difference. And, and that was one of the things when I was interviewing. So I interviewed 100 people for the book. And, and I wanted to understand, is there a difference between what a CEO does or any C-level uh, person does versus an ultra distance person, an ultra distance athlete. You know, and minimally, I looked at on the business side, I looked at you know, somebody that is at the top of their game, you know, their C-level, um, their general manager, they've started up their own business. And then on the ultra distance side, I looked at somebody who had done the equivalent of like an Ironman 
or more, um, run a hundred miles or more. And so that was, and, and I saw a tremendous amount of similarities between what they do and, and a couple of them. And there, there's all, all sorts of one is they're very focused. They're very focused on where they want to go. And so they don't just look out three months or six months, they're looking out five, 10, 15, 20 years. And so it's that focus and being very deliver deliberate about, you know, how they go about getting it. Um, so, so that was, that was one of the biggest things and they're not, a, not afraid to fail. You know, you know, everybody I talked to at some point, at some point had failed along the lines and, but they knew how to get up and move along. So those, I mean, we can talk about a bunch, but those are just a, a couple of things that, that uh, I've heard. Thank you. Excellent. Now, Sophie, don't worry. We will be patient. If you have to move, which we know that she's trying to get settled into the library on campus. If she needs to leave us, she'll come back. She'll find another spot, but don't worry about it. Ed, I'm tossing this over to you now. All right. Well, uh, Brian, this is a fascinating conversation. And when you talk about writing at night, I remember before I got remarried and I was a single parent, uh, I had some sleepless nights getting adjusted to that and ha not having my kids with me. And I remember one night I got on my bike, it was probably 1.30 in the morning and I drove down the coast and I thought two things. It was extraordinarily peaceful and I had to be very focused, but at the same time, I was scared to death that somebody's going to swerve and hit me. Uh, not related. I'm sure actually it is kind of related to this topic. When you're on the road at night, and I guess from an entrepreneurial perspective, sometimes you're on the road at night. How do you maintain that focus and how do you enjoy that ride in, in that experience? And conversely, how does that relate to being in business? Yeah. You know, I, I generally don't like to ride at night a lot just because the visibility is is not nearly as good. And so when I do ride at night, I've got tons of lights um, that are that are on. So it, it at least makes me a little bit more visible. But I I did a lot of my night riding before I had kids. Mm -hmm. And and then when I got the kids, when or when the kids kind of came into the picture per se, <laughs> <laughs> they it, it was one of these things. It's like I, I need to think that if something happens to me, you know, it, it's not going to just if if I die, you know, it impacts other people around me. And so how I manage my risk. And I remember the very first time that that came to me, my wife and I were out for. You know, I think like a 30 mile bike ride. She was several months pregnant and we had just climbed up to the top of this hill and we were getting ready to go down the hill. And it was a hill I would usually kind of head down at like 40 miles an hour, 35, 40 miles an hour. And the road was a little bit wet. It was early in the morning. And as I started to accelerate and looking at my my speedometer, I thought, you know, if something happens to me, it's going to impact these kids' lives. So I need to slow down. And so it's it's being able to manage risk. And so mm -hmm. how do you do that in, in the work world is, is the same. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a number of people. You know, one guy who founded this company and eventually sold it for $4 billion. And so he's doing all right. And he's, he's, he's all over the world. Yeah. A little bit more than all right. Hopefully. Yeah. He's, 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 he's doing okay. And, and he's this phenomenal skier. And he, he stands, you know, when he's standing up on a, uh, on a, a cornice and he's looking down, he says, you know, a lot of people get really scared. 
And what he looks at is he goes, you know, we often think about what the worst case scenario could be, you know, which is death, complete annihilation with anything, whether it's work, it's kind of total loss of the entire business, everything. And he goes, I look at what is the realistic worst case scenario and how do I manage to that? Because that, that worst case scenario for that to happen, a series of bad things have to happen. And rarely is that going to take. So, you know, how it, you know, it, it's managing risk. It's realizing that, you know, we often look at that worst case scenario and how do you back up and look at what the realistic worst case scenario is, um, which will help you get a little bit further and it may not stop you from moving forward. Gotcha. I, I threw that curveball at you, Brian. Thanks for taking that on. Yeah. Uh, we, warned the, him. we warned him. <laughs> the, yeah, we did. But it was only a one part question. So you can't. I, I know. I'm, I'm waiting for your four part I'm question. I'm really trying not apart. to. Yeah. But you have to dissect those ones. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So you're my... jumping on it too? Come on, girl. <laughs> uh, actually, the question I really wanted to ask you was about um, something I read in your bio. And it talked about how your expertise is to help people push beyond their limits, even though they might know, not know what that is yet. And I'm curious if you could speak to that from a parent's perspective. How do you know when to push a young person? How do you know when to pull them? And how do you know when to just let them have the experience so they can learn something on their own? How have you found balance to that? I suppose is a work element, but I'm looking for it from a parent's perspective. Yeah, I, I don't know. Next question. <laughs> I don't either. That's why, that's why I'm asking. You. <laughs> we say that more often. Yeah. Um, my kids are soon to be 15 and 17, and they're still alive. So I'm happy at that. And and I think I, I think I know after after the fact. And, and I'll give you an example. We were traveling around the world um, in 2017. We were out for a year. We were in Guatemala and the safety standards in Guatemala are a little bit different than the safety standards here in the U.S. And I and, and my son is eight. And we go into this cave and we don't have flashlights, but we every other person is holding a candle and there's probably 10 of us. And, and we're with somebody that knows where they're going. And there's probably 10 of us that are going in and every every other person's holding a candle. I'm holding a candle. Um, my son can't touch the bottom, but he does have a, a life preserver on. And I'm constantly asking, I, I ask this question and my wife and I ask this question all the time is, did we go too far? Were we irresponsible in taking them in? And we made it out fine. But life has risks. And sometimes we go across the line. And, and so I don't know the heart of your, your, your question um, or the, heart, the answer, the heart of it. But I think we have to kind of push them a little bit further than where they think they go. And I'll give you that example. I mean, at the time, my eight-year-old son, he didn't want, I mean, he would say no to, any, to kind of everything. We'd say, hey, you want to go into this? Oh, uh, no. And he didn't have that adventurous spirit. And, and my other son would say yes to everything. And so we kept kind of putting them into situations that were a little bit uncomfortable. And then the next time put them into a situation that was, again, a little bit more uncomfortable. And you get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that's my line right there. I yeah, love it. I mean, you, you do. I'm doing a keynote for a group in a couple of weeks, and that's kind of the title of it. You get comfortable being uncomfortable. And over that year, I saw my son from kind of going from, no to 
yeah, maybe let's do that. Let's explore that. And so it's something that you can learn how to do that. And, and what, where it just, it kind of came to an epiphany uh, a couple of weeks ago is uh, my son came back about two months ago and said, Hey, Hey dad, I want to ride a hundred miles on my bike. Now, as a father who's written a book about stuff like that and done, done something like that, there's no way I can say that's a bad idea. In my head, I'm thinking that is a bad idea <laughs> because the furthest he'd written is like 25 miles and it was not a good experience. And so his friend wanted to do it. Now he wants to do it. It's like, I have to support him. This is his idea. So how do I support him to do it safely? And, and to be honest with you, if I had to bet money, whether he was going to make it, I don't know which side I would have bet because it's, <laughs> riding a hundred miles is a long way to go, especially when you've never done it before. And they did it. And, and so it's that confidence and a year earlier. And I think where he got that confidence a year earlier, I had thrown out the idea to the family. I said, what do you guys think about walking for 24 hours? You know, I've done stuff like that. My wife, um, who was an Iron Man, my wife and my kids hadn't done 24 hours. Consecutive. Consecutive. We start at, <laughs> wow. we, we start at 7 a.m. and we finish at 7 a.m. the next day. You know, we and, and so I just threw the idea out and surprisingly, everybody said yes. I mean, that's the type of family I live in now. And, and they all said yes. And so. So I said, OK. And so we started, we got up at 7 a.m. and we just started walking. And, and we didn't have this, we didn't know exactly where we were going. We were just going to walk around our town. And we'd, if we needed, got hungry, we'd go get something to eat. Shortly after dinner, we'd, we'd walked 24 miles and my son's feet started to hurt. And, and what we agreed upon as a family that we will all start together and we will finish together. So if one person wants to stop, we all stop. And my son's feet started to hurt. And, and I asked myself, Ed, this time to your, to your point, I asked myself, are we pushing him too far? Hmm. And so I went back, I was talking to my wife. I said, you know, his feet are hurting. You know, he's starting to cry. I think, I think we need to seriously consider stopping. And so I went up and I was talking to him and we got it. We, we put some Advil in him and I said, you know, I think we ought to, why don't we see if we can get to 26.2 miles, which is a marathon. And it's like, that's pretty darn cool for a, for a 14 year old. And I said, what do you think about just like going a little bit further and then, and then we'll stop. And he goes, I, I don't want to stop. And it's like, okay, he, he, he gets it, but I'm still, I have to ask that question. Are we going too far? And we made it to 26.2. I went up, I'm checking on him, how he's doing. His feet are fine now. He goes, yeah, I don't want to stop. Unfortunately, my wife had gotten into her head that we're going to be stopping soon. And it was the <laughs> mental know. part. So we made sure. it till one in the morning. We made it 33 miles, but it was that mental part that she had gotten in her head. She wants to, uh, that, that we're going to stop. And we ended up stopping. And next morning she comes up, she goes, I wish we didn't stop. It wasn't oh. the kids that stopped us. Mm. And it, it's that regret. Yeah. Um, and so we did this last Thanksgiving. So I threw the idea out to my youngest son. I said, what do you think about trying this again? He goes, yeah, let's do it. So it's that we failed at our attempt to ride, to, to um, walk 24 hours but it gave him the confidence that he can do more than 
like he'd ever done before. And I think that led him to do the hundred mile ride, which was successful. So we we can learn, we can learn. And it's that, you know, you gotta be, you gotta get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's where you grow. So a couple of things on that. And then I got one question. I'll turn it back over to Sophie and Amy. Um, First of all, Amy, we got to figure out who came up with that first. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Is it Brian or it's me? Because if it's me and Brian (laughs) quoted me, I'm going to be famous. Let's just go with that, okay? I'm just, I I want (laughs) to put it on a shirt. Neutral. Oh, it's going on a shirt. Well, gets shirt first, it's whose name's going to be under it, huh, Ed? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I, we'll I take a poll. To, I wanted to kind of get into the, the topic of the book and the title, EPIC. Um, and I know it's an acronym. And I was just looking at this Envision, Plan, Iterate, Collaborate. I think most people know what most of those are, but I don't know if most people understand what the word iterate means and how it applies yeah in business, in life. Could you kind of give us an overview if we got a couple of minutes on Epic, but really zero in on what iterate means and how significant that is? Yeah, no, I will. So E is envision, envision the big things in life you want to accomplish. P is how do you put a plan in place to do it? The I is iterate. We'll get into that in a moment. C is how do you learn from others, collaborate? And then lastly, you got to go perform it. So what does iterate mean? You don't start off running a marathon. You start off running a 5K and then when you get comfortable and you can do a 5K successfully, you run a 10K. And so iterate is that ability to start small and grow bigger. So if you want to be the president of fill in the blank, you don't start with that. What are the different levels you need to start with and work your way up? And as you iterate, and it's it's often used with a lot of software folks, is the iteration process is you do something. If you fail, you try something else. And, and once you get to that, you try something else and you just kind of work your way up. So that's that's what iterate is in a nutshell. Um, I lied, but because I can't ask 15 level questions anymore, I have right. one other question. And it has to do with this idea of um, young people and expectations. I see, Brian, there's a lot of young people who are like, I want to be successful. I want to be successful right now. Right now. And the journey is like, I need it in two minutes, like I'm microwaving a burrito. What would you say to a young person who's trying or wants to be successful and really has it kind of under, doesn't understand that process? Do you have any words of wisdom on patience or iteration or collaboration, what could you say to them to help them understand overnight successes don't happen on every Play the long game. Yeah, I mean, just play the long game and know where you want to go 10, 15, 20 years out. And what are you doing today that will get you in that direction? Um, I'll tell you, Ed, What as a former head of HR who would hire a lot of folks right out of college and think, okay, uh, you know, you hired me, when am I going to be a VP? I live in the Silicon Valley and and it, you, I saw that a lot. And it's a challenge because what they can do is they can go to company X over here and kind of get that next title. Um, and so instead of chasing those titles, instead of chasing kind of the next big paycheck, chase the things that will drive to your passion, chase the things that will get you to your longer term goals. And so playing that that long game is something, you know, you, you got to really look at is, is what I would say. 
Very well, cool. Brent, right, you're Sophie, speaking to me. Amy, do your thing. Nope, Sophie, Sophie, Sophie. Ed was calling me out a bit there about wanting immediate success. I've definitely felt a bit of that before. Maybe a lot. Um, it's okay. It's okay to want it. Sophie's not a big achiever at all. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously you're, you're very successful and, and you're going to go a long way and just realize that, okay, sometimes it may take a little bit longer. Um, so, but yeah, keep going. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt you anymore. No, no worries. So uh, one thing I've been thinking about is like, as I'm heading into college and we've been doing all these orientation things and advisors are giving us advice. Uh, we hear a lot of these like leadership platitudes, like, um, don't be afraid of failure, um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, you hear them from the people who are the top of their fields. You hear them from those, from your son, who's, you know, walking those a hundred, uh, or 33 miles. Um, and you hear them from top performing business executives and top performing athletes, but we all, we all hear them, even if you're, you're not that. So what's the difference between those people who hear the, those, uh, platitudes and incorporate them in their lives and the people who hear them and are unsuccessful and how do those, or not unsuccessful, but, you know, not getting exactly where they want to be. How, what, what's the difference between those people? And if, if someone who's not quite there yet, how, what steps would you recommend that they take to get to that higher performing level? Yeah, no, no, good question. One, one reads it and then does it. The other one reads yeah. it, quotes it. So <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a good way of putting it. So it's, you know, it's that ability to just do it. And you know, Nike does it, says it best, just do it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when I talk to, I talk to these hundred people, I mean, I was surprised, you know, I, I thought that, that they were going to come across as this big ego and everybody was, was very humble. And I kept saying, I mean, look at what you've accomplished. And, and, but what they do is they, they take this stuff or they've already incorporated it into their world. So they know they've had failures. They're open about their fail fails and they've learned from them. So rarely do you see that they've had the same failure twice because they have it, they learn from it, and then they adjust, they iterate. So, I yeah. mean, I, I think the big difference is, is the people that, that I interviewed, the people that, you know, you hear from that are successful is, you know, they, they take these, these ideas and they, they build on them. Mm-hmm. I'd like that's, to, that's I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to think that I'm coming up with all this kind of brilliant stuff, but you know, Ed came up with it first, and and so Don't tell him that, Brian. We have to live with him all. <laughs> yeah, is his ego going to get? You know, we're going to need yeah. a bigger camera. Oh yeah, you can expect that. Yeah, um, you know, this isn't new stuff, um, and it's just how do you take some of those those things that you're hearing in some of your classes or from your parents maybe and because oh, they Listen yeah i know because <laughs> <laughs> they've got some good ideas and and take it listen to it maybe try it and sometimes it's yeah. going to work and sometimes it's not and then when it doesn't work okay why didn't it work maybe i ought to try something else one of the one of the things that was really cool that i that i learned is there is no one right path to success yes you know, mm -hmm. Amy's had a path, Ed's had a path, I've had a path, you've had a path. And, and I look at the five elements of epic performance, envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, and perform. 
And and the hundred people I talked to, there were there were people that were really good at envision but couldn't iterate, or really good at iterate and couldn't plan. But yeah. what I found is most people were good at like two of them, and they knew how to compensate for the other two or three that they weren't good at. And so there was no right path to success. I, I look at, and, and, and my son's, I mean, I have this book that's on, you know, has the five elements and this is how you get to success. And, and my son goes and rides a hundred miles and he envisioned it and he performed it. He didn't plan it. He didn't iterate it. And he didn't. There was no iteration. <laughs> yeah, there was no iteration. There was no planning, a little bit of collaboration. Um, and it's like, okay, you don't need, you don't need to have all five to be great. But you better have two that you're really good at and know how to compensate for the other. That's Truth. fascinating. Yeah, I think um, being able to to recognize that sometimes we're not going to be 100% fantastic at all of these things. It can be sometimes demotivating if we're like, oh, well, I'm really great at envisioning, but then I like really suck at planning. I guess I just can't do it at all. Doing right. something is often a little, is much, much better than just giving up completely. You know, I mean, my first interview, I was interviewing the CEO of a company, you know, this was the, the company that was sold for, for $4 billion. And I, and I worked for him, phenomenal leader. And, and I'm talking through him about kind of envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, and perform. And he goes, you know, I'm really good at iterating and I'm really good at planning, but I'm not good at envisioning. Mm -hmm. And this was a guy that I thought, man, he's, he's just, he's got this great vision. He knew how to get people to envision, to strategize, and then he knew how to make it happen. And so there is a time, and, and, and I'll say this in my house a fair amount of time, there's time enough where it's like, you got to really be good at something, but sometimes good enough is good enough and you got to move on. You know, I, I'm coaching this one person right now and he, he wants everything to be perfect. And you, you may have heard like perfect is the enemy of the good. It's like, sometimes don't worry about perfect. Just worry about good enough. At and you got to know when. If you're an air, if you're a pilot building an engine, good enough isn't good enough. You want it. You want it to be better. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you're going to have to make a decision. Do I spend my time on this class to get the A, or do I spend a whole bunch of time that's going to take away from here and, and and get the B? And so you have to kind of manage that. Where do it's all about managing priorities. And so, no one, you can't be great at everything. Brian, I love that you've had these talking points and you already answered three of the questions I was going to ask you, which is great, which everybody else is happy. It keeps me quiet. However, <laughs> <laughs> and this one's a, a little bit more, more tricky, but especially when you're speaking to, to young adults, which yeah. I know, especially if you've got two at home, you already know this inside and out and, and what we need them to understand. I want you to discuss collaborating because I know for myself, I know what my skills are, where my lane is. But yeah. without collaboration, I know that I can't fully go that next step. And I think that our, our, our young adults are so driven in high school, you have to do this. These are your grades. These are your APs. This is your college app. Now you're there and this is all on you. Let's discuss that importance, especially now even for Sophie starting college. Mm -hmm. The collaboration is a key component lifelong. Yeah. I mean, I look at, I look at the, the undergraduate school I went to and I wouldn't be able to get into it now with the grades that I had when I was coming out of high school. And so I, I went to the University of California. So it was a, it was a good school. And it's like the level is is getting higher and higher um, that 
and, and so the people that are going into college are just, I mean, I, I've chatted with a bunch because I've helped them with resumes and I look at their resumes and think, my God, I thought I was pretty decent in high school. It's like, I, I don't even hold, you know, I can't even compare to these kids, which gives me some confidence in, in the future. When I was hiring folks, I wasn't hiring them for their technical, most, most of the time I wasn't hiring them for their technical competence. I wasn't hiring them because they were the greatest engineer. They were the greatest recruiter. They were the greatest whatever, or they were even, I mean, they, they were really good at it, but that's not why I was hiring them. I was hiring them because they knew how to work with other people. They knew how to collaborate with other people because that is going to be what's going to determine whether they're successful kind of moving up in, in their ladder. And how do you work with those people? I think, you know, some of the mistakes I've made earlier is I haven't relied enough on people. And I tried to kind of, you know, figure I can, I can do it myself. And, and I hadn't asked enough of those questions. There's a lot of, most of the people out here are a whole much smarter on, than I am. And there's probably three other people on this call that are smarter than me. And, and, and so how do I leverage that expertise more so? And I was always, you know, there are a lot of times where I was hesitant to ask because if I ask, you know, Ed's, uh, Ed's opinion or Sophie's opinion, it shows that maybe I'm not as smart as I could be. And it's a blow to my ego, but I have to turn that around and realize that, God, Ed and Sophie have, have a different experience. Mm -hmm. They have different knowledge than I do. Maybe they can add to my, to my picture. And so, you know, think about as you're working, you know, working with your colleagues in, you know, on a project for a class is those aren't your competitors. Those are your colleagues, because when you go into the into the, you know, leave college and you're working, you got to work with those people and the people that are most successful know how to work with with uh, their colleagues really, really well. Can I ask a follow up question to that? No. No, I'm right, only taking over. questions from Sophie or Amy. Perfect. That's smart. That's smart on I your part. <laughs> that's, that's the smartest thing you've said all day. Yes, ever. <laughs> all right, Ed, go ahead. Uh, I think Amy's question was fantastic. And I think it, what it reminded me of is I was working with a young lady who's, wor who's working on an essay for admissions. And the subject matter is about leadership. And she was telling me about a camp that she was in. And she was assigned to manage this dining room table, like eight people, right? And one of the young people that she was working with was difficult and challenging. And it had more to do with like, he's been there a couple of years. He was doing the same job. And I'm curious, in, in theory, things sound great, but in reality and application, it could be a little bit challenging. So how does a young person take that individual Maybe you got two or three points that you can give. Take that individual and not force them to be part of it, but train them up a little bit so that they can experience leadership when they don't have the experience of being a leader in challenging situations. Brian, is this something you can go, hey, this is what you would want to do, considering they don't know what to do? Yeah. When I have been my most successful in doing that, Ed, is when I can understand and get into the shoes of that other person. Mm -hmm. Because what's going on in their head? How do they, and I do a lot with communication styles 
And you know how Amy may communicate may be different than how you may communicate may be different than how Sophie communicates. And and you know I'm working with one person right now, and they're very technical. And you know it's like I got to give them the facts, and they don't care about kind of the people side. And where somebody else may be, it's like I don't need the facts. Just give me the high level points of view. So one is being able to understand how do they how do they receive information? What's kind of maybe a little on their communication style? So I, I do a lot around that. Um, but it's also getting into their shoes. I mean, I, I remember probably 25 years ago, I was working with a gentleman and we were colleagues and he was just, he was a phenomenal leader. And, you know, he wasn't somebody that was trying to climb the corporate ladder. Um, but every, he was just a very likable guy within a short amount of time, within a year, his daughter died, his one of his parents died and one of his uh, wife's parents died. Mm. Wow, that's a lot. And I saw him you know, be maybe a little bit more short at times. I saw him come across different than he normally would. Now, had I not known what was going on in his head, I would have thought, what? Well, he's being an asshole. You know? <laughs> Sorry if we have to bleep that out. Um <laughs> Uh, and and so it's it's kind of understanding what's going on in that other person's head and what's important to them. And I'll tell you, it, it's it's helped me, you know, when I'm at my best with my wife, it's because I'm trying to understand what's going on with her. When I'm not, it's because I haven't done enough to understand what's going on with her. And it's the same whether you're on a college, uh, um, you know, working on a project with a bunch of your college uh, friends or you're you're working on something in your career. So it's how, how do we really understand what's going on? Th there are times where it's like, yeah, that person is a jerk and maybe they need to go. That's <laughs> that's not the, that's not where you start. That's fantastic. Excellent. Thank you for that insight. Thank I appreciate you. that, Brian. Yeah. Good question, Ed. I'm glad I let you ask it. We are. We're, we're, we're going to keep them around still. <laughs> Sophie, do you have any last thoughts? This has been a fascinating conversation, especially as I, you know, I, I haven't started classes yet, but I, I do soon. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was sort of thinking about is my role. I think Ed asked earlier about how do parents tell their kids, um, help their kids with this uh, like epic performance. But how do I as a student also, or as a child, like a, a child of my parents, communicate with them? Because I think sometimes it feels like my parents maybe don't understand that I'm, these are things that I'm trying to embrace in my own life. These are principles that I want to embrace, but it's difficult. It's difficult to create new habits. It's difficult um, to be successful at a young age. So how uh, you sort of touched it uh, on ethic from like the parent side, but how can I, as uh, the daughter of someone, have a better communication with my parents about um, and, and ask them how to help me uh, embody epic performance? Wow. Wow. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's why she gets paid the big bucks, Brian. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. I, I wish more, but... Yeah, you 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 should ask for a raise, Sophie. <laughs> um, sorry, uh, sorry, Amy. Um, <laughs> ask your just have an open conversation with them. I mean, you're an exciting time in college, yeah. and you're to try new things. And you know, I, I think you just ask them that question 
because mm -hmm. what what they may see may be different than what I would say, which is going to be different than Amy's going to say or Ed's going to say. So, you know, try to have an open conversation with them about, you know, how do you how do you push yourself more? Um, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I find that if I, you know, if I give my some advice to my kids, they don't listen to me because I'm their parent. Where yes, if, if Amy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where if Amy were to give them the exact same oh, advice, me. they would, they would think, <laughs> oh my gosh, she's, she's brilliant. Why didn't you come up with that, dad? Um, and so the other thing is, how are you open to some of the crazy wacky things that your parents could say? Um, because I'm sure, and, and I was a kid once and I will tell you, you know, my parents had said some things that I think were totally stupid. And now I think about it, it's like, it wasn't totally stupid. It was pretty smart. And so how are you having kind of that open mind of, hey, maybe my parents with their 40, 50 years of experience may know something. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that would be another way to, to frame it. But how do you have that dialogue? I, I, I will venture to say that if you pose that question to your parents, they will go, We'd love to talk. Yeah, I definitely. I think having uh, establishing that communication is is essential because when when we're both when I'm not talking and when my parents aren't talking or someone else, just young young adults, it, it can create difficult boundaries and it's sometimes hard to cross. It's hard to cross that if that boundary has been there for a while. So I yeah. appreciate that. And how do you find you know time to kind of break those barriers down? I mean, I, I know that when I was so my my son and I are training for a marathon right now, and so we're going out and running, and and so when we're out running, it's just the two of us hmm. with no distractions, no phones, no headphones, no no screen, and we can start to have a conversation, and so. Where is if we're sitting at home and there's a TV on or a screen available, we can't we can't have that conversation. So I'm really, really enjoying that time. And how do you get out, maybe get out on a walk with your mom or your dad and kind of start to talk about things? They're probably right now, my guess is they're missing you so much because <laughs> oh, because their their baby is gone. Um, and so they can't wait to come and talk to you. Mm -hmm. So take advantage of it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so impressed that Brian and his son can run and talk. I was trying to figure I, if I was running, I would not be talking. <laughs> that happens. I, I, Amy, I, Amy, I think I lost you there for a second. You did? Yeah. Oh. I, I, I got you, Amy. Thank you. Sorry, I did as well. it was just you. <laughs> oh, she, I see what she did. She left me out of the conversation. Sorry. I, I muted him for just that moment. <laughs> no. Um, this has just been... Absolutely unbelievable. Brian, what a tremendous value you have brought to our listeners, to this show, to us. I mean, we have all just tremendously taken in so much. You've reminded me of those core values of really finding that endurance in everything that I'm doing as well, um, personally and professionally. So thank you for the reminders today because it was really powerful. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just a pleasure to, to chat with the three of you and, and just the different perspectives. I mean, it's like, yeah, I've been where you are, Sophie, before, but it's different mm -hmm. than when I was there. And so I love being able to chat with people that are college or right out of college because I learn a tremendous amount. So thank you to the three of you for a wonderful conversation. I love it. 
Well, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap this up. So, Brian, uh, like the lady said, is a fascinating, fascinating conversation. I encourage people to go out and get uh, Brian's book's epic performance. Link is in the show notes. You will be able to find it there, wherever you are listening or watching this podcast. I love the acronym. It makes perfect sense. It's pretty easy to remember. Um, And the best of the best for you and your son as you go on this journey together, do this marathon. I didn't realize we were going to have a conversation with a living, breathing um, Forrest Gump, but we did. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I got to tell you guys something. This is why I love doing this podcast, because we find individuals who can speak to young people like Sophie, adults like Amy and myself as we're continuing on our journey. So you know what? This is why we do this podcast. And this is why we love people commenting and sharing it. So if you like what you've heard today, give us a thumbs up. If you think somebody else would benefit from it, please share it with them and subscribe because we get these types of episodes and these types of guests all the time. So on behalf of Sophie, our co-host today, and Amy, co-host, this is Ed Sanderson, and this has been the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast.